1: Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway.
2: And I'm Cameron Conway.
1: And this podcast is a very personal look at personal finance in Canada. Welcome to It's Personal Finance Canada. I'm Christine Conway here with Cameron Conway. And today we're going to be talking about group RRSPs.
2: That's right. We're not talking about the boring old individual RSPs you get for yourself. We're talking about the fancy, souped-up, all-in-one package RSP.
1: These are the RSPs that are increasingly more popular options for companies that want to offer some retirement benefits, but don't want to be on the hook for the shortfalls that defined benefit pension plans can have.
2: Well, that's right. This is a good option for employers that other than just the mandatory pizza party to make everyone feel better.
1: Well, and it is something we offer to corporations as well. So we'll put our plug right at the beginning this time. If you own a small, medium, or even a large business and want to look into this, there's a ton of structure that you can do to really control how the plan works. So give us a call. If you're in the BC area, we're happy to help. We also offer services to staff free of charge when uh, we're working with the company. But today's talk is really for the employees. A lot of people bump into kind of a type of paralysis when they come to these plans. They don't know what to do. So to solve that problem, they do nothing at all and really waste what is supposed to be a good opportunity to help them invest for their future and the long term.
2: Well, that's right. People face these decisions when they actually have a good company that will provide a group RRSP because like he said there really aren't any defined benefit unless you're in the government workforce. So a lot of people in the private sector, this is their option. And a lot of them just really aren't sure what to pick. It's usually whatever the corporate rep working with your company kind of advises you to pick Of really option like one, two, three, four, or five normally with these kind of plans.
1: Yeah, or unions. Unions tend to have these uh, defined benefit pension plans as well. But for our purposes today, let's talk about you as an employee, you've enrolled in one of these plans, you've probably left it running around in the background, kind of forgotten about it. And every year you get a statement, you kind of look at it and you go, okay, how's I, how have I done? But uh, let's talk about the pros and cons, so advantages, disadvantages, and I'm going to throw in some tips in there. If you're trying to figure out what to choose, there's a section in here that's going to be of interest to you.
2: Yeah, so let's kind of get right into it. So what are some reasons why it's a good thing to participate in these kind of plans if you have it available to you? I'll kind of just jump ahead and say, well, the first big benefit is free money.
1: Who doesn't like free money? Now, this is something that your employer is looking at as part of your overall compensation. So if you're leaving money on the table, I mean, you wouldn't leave a wage increase or a bonus sitting on the table. So why would you leave an RSP match? RSP matches, if your plan offers it, are a beautiful thing because it's essentially the company saying, I've got some money for you, but you may have to do something to get it. And that something might be along the lines of enrolling in the plan, deciding you want to participate. And depending on how the plan is structured, your contribution might be required to get the match. But I will say that's not always the case. So the basic structure of these plans are both the employer and the employee contributing. Just the employer contributing, just the employee contributing... Or a combination of both. But like I said, for the match, there can be restrictions or requirements placed around them, such as the company will only kick in 2% if you kick in 2%. So if you contribute less or if you don't contribute at all, they may not match. And that's exactly why it's called a match. It's as advertised.
2: Oh, yeah. And it's also a good time as we're kind of talking about this to dig out your information packet on your own group RSP if you have it, because these do vary quite a bit between plans and employers, the way things are structured, whether you are working directly, whether there's a union involved. So it's worth actually reading that big book that they gave you to see what the pros and cons and limitations are so you can see whether or not you're getting what you think you're getting, whether you can add more than you can, and how the company is matching, topping up, or even not paying it all into this.
1: Yeah. So let's circle back to the idea of free money. The best thing that you can do is find out how much free money is on the table, Typically, it's expressed as a percentage. So it'll usually be a percentage of earned income. Now, earned income can mean a lot of different things, depending on how the plan administrator has decided to define it. So what that can mean, and like Cam said, your benefits booklet or your HR is the best place to go. But you really want to know if it's based on your base salary, is it based on any overtime, are any bonuses considered, if that's a substantial part of your compensation package. Really, you want to know what you stand to gain or lose by opting in or not.
2: Yeah, even just having a clear understanding of like... What sources of her income are applied? Because even there's a group RSP I used to be a part of where, like things like overtime didn't count. It was just your base salary only, no matter how much extra work you try to put in. So your RSP contributions were only based upon that one aspect, which is something you need to be aware of. Because you, you don't want to be putting in overtime thinking it's getting auto sent to your group RSP when it doesn't. Cause that may open up an opportunity to kind of have your own side RSP or side TFSA running at the same time.
1: Well, and that's a good option. I think the default is to focus on base salary only because these companies, from their point of view, they want to know what their obligation to you is going to be ahead of time. And for overtime, I mean, to bonuses, they're usually tied to performance to a certain extent, but they want to be able to kind of count the beans, so to speak, at the beginning of the year and say, this is how much I need to have available to fund these RSP deposits, not just for you, but for all of the other staff on payroll as well.
2: Yeah. And another thing to kind of think about is the different classes of people at your job could get different rates or a different setup. So a person doing one job can get one rate in certain aspects and bonuses and someone else doing something could be different. I was like, janitor could get one thing and men could get one, management could get another thing. It's being aware that there are, well, there can be, if the company decides to set up different classifications within the group RSP, or some other ones will just have a uniform, everyone gets the same.
1: That's right. So like the benefit amount can be different, it can be a percentage, it can be a flat amount. The class of employee can come with different levels of benefits. So we always say, if you're moving on up in the company, make sure you take a close look at your benefits package. Because let's say you were enrolled with a 2% match, and you got promoted to a manager position, which allowed for a 5% match. Well, unless you changed your contribution, if you're in one of these plans that require your contribution to make a match, you might not realize that you've missed out on some free money. So depending on how the plan is structured, that's something to just keep an eye out for.
2: Yeah, all that sounds good. But I think another disclaimer we should probably throw in too is if you have your own personal RRSP on the side, you have to be careful with over contributions if you're getting stuff from work also.
1: That's a good point. Now that your employer is involved as well, you plus your employer, the contributions can't exceed a total of 18% of earned income for the year up to a published maximum. And that's a figure that the CRA puts out every year. So it'll change on an annual basis. So why is this important? I mean, if you're just working that job and you don't have any other savings plans, it really isn't going to matter because as you work, you earn RSP contribution room. but if you have other RSP savings or a spousal RSP, or you're putting some money away, then you have potential to exceed the max if you're not careful. So finding up what the total is going into all of your RSP type accounts, including your employer's contribution, can be really, really important just to make sure that you don't end up with a nice little letter from the CRA saying, "Hey, we're going to tax you for overcontribution."
2: Well, I guess while we're on the topic of taxes, we should probably talk about the tax deduction benefits of having a group RRSP, shouldn't we?
1: Yeah, and I would say this is our second big advantage to one of these plans, the tax deduction that you can get. So depending on how the setup is done again, and I'm so sorry for this one, it's always going to have a bunch of caveats because like I said, there's so much flexibility for the employers to do these things in slightly different ways. You can't really catch all and cover everyone, uh, especially where taxation is involved.
2: Well, it's not just the employers, it's also all the different companies that provide these group RSPs who have their own little quirks and nuances too.
1: That's true. But uh, depending on the setup, contributions can be deducted from your gross pay, which means you're only going to be paying income tax on the reduced amount, right? So it's essentially the company taking it off the top before, which is a good thing. Another way that just to kind of say it a little bit differently, one of the major companies explained it to me a while ago like this. And that's to say that if you have a group RSP, and let's say, for example, in that pay period, your salary is about $2,000 and the group RSP contribution is $100, the company is still going to be paying CPP and EI. So that's good. That's to your benefit, especially if you have a lower salary that can bump up what you'll receive from CPP later or that can help you hit the maximum EI qualification as well or at least enhance what uh, you would be qualified for. However, there may not need to be an income tax deduction on the group RSP. So if the salary was $2,000, the $100 comes off first, and then the $1,900 would have income tax applied. Does that kind of make sense?
2: Well, yeah. With the group RSP, it has this flexibility to kind of pull this stuff off right at the front, where if you do it with a personal RSP, really doing this on the back end when you're filing your taxes. So this is just kind of putting the clawback at right at the source with your paycheck rather than you having to do it manually through your taxes later in the year,
1: right? Well, and I would say, yeah, again, depending on the structure, basically as the employee, you will have the ability to deduct both your and the employer contribution if it was set up in the way that allows that, right? So if it was set up in the way that it was taxed, of course, you'll get the deduction. If it was set up so that there wasn't the tax taken off its source, of course, then it's already taken care of from that point of view. But you could still get money back or you could still get a deduction on your portion, which, of course, again, may or may not have the taxation handled it different ways. So that was a little bit too confusing, I feel. But the bottom line is it's additional money going into an RSP. And anytime you have money going into an RSP, you get two big benefits from a tax point of view. The first is the deductions that we're talking about. Where it doesn't count as earned income for that year because it's gone into a long term savings plan that the government smiles upon. The second thing is tax deferral. So, again, because this is a registered plan, the benefit is you're not going to get any capital gains tax on any of the growth or any of the gains that you have within the plan, and you won't have to pay any tax at all on it until it's taken out down the road. Hopefully, at retirement when your income tax is a little bit lower.
2: Well, exactly. The government smiles on these kind of plans because they know they're going to get the tax later and they're going to get a lot more of it because it's growing.
1: Well, and there's a huge compounding advantage to it growing tax deferred. When taxes aren't being taken off, that's a higher dollar amount that keeps compounding on itself year after year. So you can end up with a much larger amount than if you had to net out your taxes paid or dip into the account to pay your taxes every year.
2: Well, exactly. The government's willing to give up that $1 today so they can get $4 or $5 in the future. Okay, so we should probably head up on one more quick good thing about these group RSPs is that it offers a way for you to save with much lower management fees, right?
1: That's right. So this is one thing that group RSPs do really well, and it's pretty well across the board. So it's because of the pooling nature of these funds. The companies that offer them know that they're going to get a minimum amount So there is a minimum amount for the employer setting it up. They have to commit to a certain amount of payroll going into this plan because the company who's offering the plan knows they're going to get so many dollars, they will offer a reduced fee. These reduced fees help you out in the way that fees are deducted from what you earn in your plan. Typically, they're kind of taken off the top. So lower fees can help you out over the long run, because again, like the tax deferral benefit, there's just more to compound for you year over year.
2: Well, exactly, and a lot of people, aren't really able to access these lower fees unless you have like a good amount saved up. Like even on the individual side, uh, to get like the quote unquote prestige pricing, some carriers need $250,000, other carriers need half a million dollars. But when you go in with a group RSP, all you need is your standard wages and you're automatically qualified to this lower rate because it is you and it's all your fellow employees all working together into this plan. So they offer the reduced rate because they're essentially managing one pool instead of multiple people's accounts.
1: Well, and I would make the argument, too, that uh, these group RSPs will actually offer MERs in a lot of cases that can be lower than the preferential or prestige pricing that you'd get at retail level. So a group RSP will always have a lower cost to it than an individual RSP. I would say probably 99% of the time. And for that reason, it's to your benefit to check and see if you're able to make additional contributions above and beyond your match. Now, why would you want to do that? Well, like we said, it's giving you access to lower fees than you can find elsewhere. So if you're happy with the funds that are available within the plan, and I would say that's the big caveat there, then you can definitely save a few bucks and have some more savings go in through this plan.
2: It's just trying to take advantage of this lower cost option, as long as you have it at your current employer or even the one you've just started with. But I just wanna kind of double back to something you mentioned pretty much in passing quickly, but about funds. And this is something a lot of people get kind of caught up on when they signed up for their first group RSP. I know even I felt that a little bit where I was just handed my enrollment package and just told to kind of pick something right there and then. How can we help people make a good fund decision for where they are with their group RSP?
1: Well sure and I think one of the failure on the plan level is you usually get a big long list of fund names and the only real information you get along with that is the management expense ratio, which is the price that you pay and the performance for the last year or a couple of years or whatever is required for that particular holding and man I'm yeah I'm a big proponent of Past performance definitely does not indicate how it's going to do in the future. So when all you're looking at is a bunch of rates of return, people will either A, go, oh my goodness, there's 50 options here, which one do I pick? Or they'll go, oh, this one did really great last year, bonk, let's put all our money in there and not really pay attention to risk tolerance or things like that. So I would start by saying these plans come with a built-in advisor, or so they should. And your HR or the person that enrolled you in the plan should be able to put you in touch with that person if that's something that you want to go that route. They should also have a risk tolerance questionnaire for you to complete. And that's something, I mean, even if you go the DIY route and you're doing something like a quest trade or things like that you're going to be completing a risk tolerance questionnaire because that's going to speak to things like time horizon, how you feel about the markets going up and down, if you're going to be making withdrawals, and hopefully not because this is an RSP. But I would say step one is getting your hands on one of those risk tolerance questionnaires. If you can't meet with your advisor in person or over the phone, at the bare minimum, go through the risk tolerance process yourself and just kind of see what it comes out with.
2: Okay. Let's say I do my risk tolerance questionnaire. Let's say I come out as a medium aggressive long-term hold. Uh, How can I kind of look at these funds that are offered? Because some group RSVs, like I said, it could be 40 to 50 funds. Some groups, it could be like four to five, like I had. How can we actually figure out what would be the best fund for us going forward?
1: Well, I would say the first thing that I would look to, and this is my big tip, is if your plan has something called retirement date or target date funds, what they are is it'll say retirement date or target date, and it'll have a year. And If you want to go completely hands off and get it most of the way right and have a fund that's still managed to your retirement date, these funds can basically take all of the legwork and all of the research off the table for you. And I'll explain to you a little bit about how they work. So depending on your age today, once you've plugged in your retirement date or the year that you're going to retire, the asset allocation, which is simply the mix of stocks to bonds, will gradually over time it'll start with if you're younger a bunch of equity and it'll slowly reduce it as you get closer to retirement so the idea with these plans is as you move closer and closer they're taking risk they're taking gains off the table and they're converting it over into fixed income which in a traditional market environment is not as up and down it's a lot more stable And it's ultimately trying to lock in some of the returns that you've achieved so that you don't have big downturns right before you need the money.
2: Yeah. So if I understand that right, so let's say you check the box for this kind of autopilot style investing. If you're younger, it could start you off with like 80% equity, 20% bonds, and then years go by and all of a sudden it's 40% equity. And then by the time you retire, it could be a 20% equity, 80% of fixed income, just to kind of ensure that there will be money there for you to retire. But this whole way through, you didn't really have to do anything after you just checked that box and just kept on working at that job, right?
1: That's basically the gist of it. So the person managing the fund is adjusting that asset allocation on an annualized basis to make sure that it's getting that group of people ready to retire at that year. So, like I said, if you're looking for a hands off set it and forget it, or if you're looking for a, I just don't want to take the risk, that could be something to consider. Again, every person is different. Every choice is different. Please, this is not investment advice, but it's just a quick tip to understand what these funds are and what these funds are designed to do.
2: Okay, but uh, let's say your company cheaped out and didn't get the set it and forget it option. Oh, What advice can you give people? when they do have to kind of DIY their portfolio themselves with this?
1: So if you don't have a target date or retirement date fund built into there, the next thing that I would look at would be to try and find what's called an asset allocation portfolio. What they are, it's a similar idea, but instead of moving towards your retirement and increasing fixed income that way, it'll choose a profile that matches your risk tolerance profile and basically hold that allocation forever. So let's say you're a balanced investor and in that particular fund, balanced is 50% in equity, 50% in fixed income. If you say, here's my risk tolerance questionnaire, it's balanced, I'm just gonna buy the balanced portfolio, then that's what you'll get. The only caution with these types of funds is you want to make sure that as life changes, as your risk tolerance changes, and as you get closer to retirement, you would have to physically move from one fund to another. So maybe from a balance to a moderate or moderate to a conservative, if you were going to try and accomplish the same thing that those target date funds were going to do for you. So not completely hands off in the same way, but there still is a target asset allocation that's built in for you.
2: Okay. Okay. So bear with me for a second. What if your company is really, really cheap? They didn't get the set and forget it. Super way to do this. There's no asset allocation funds available because of something with the carrier and the way they like to operate. What if you are left with fund A, fund B, fund C? What do you do?
1: So if you have to DIY it and kind of pick What I like to do is take a look at how the funds are broken down by category. So essentially, you should have all of your Canadian equity funds in one place. You should have all of your U.S. equity funds in one place, all your fixed income or bond funds in one place, and kind of everything in between, right? There could be international.
2: Well, there can be things like global or mixed, like something I see a lot. It could be a Canada branded fund, but it could have like 30% U.S. hiding in it. So it's all that kind of fun stuff. And one quick thing to think of, uh, the difference between global and international. Uh, Global means around the world, but a big chunk of it's from the States. And international usually means there's nothing from the States in it. Just to kind of clarify, I know that's come up before, that kind of question.
1: Yeah, so then the next step would be depending on how much research you really want to do. Uh, If you like getting into detail, then... What I would do, or what I have done in the past, if I'm looking at someone else's group plan that we haven't sold, uh, is I will pull up the fund profiles available for that particular category. So it works best if there's only a few in there, of course. Sometimes there's quite a few more. But just a quick Google search of the names of the fund should come up with some information about what's in it and how it's allocated.
2: Yeah, at the very least, you should be able to find the, the carrier's website and just punch in the fund code or the name, and you should be able to find some information. Google search with like the carrier name fund code will generally pull it up, but going right to the carrier is probably the best option if you don't access to a lot of the back end stuff that we do.
1: Yeah, and if you find the individual funds too confusing A lot of these will still have some kind of index in there that you can buy so if you just want to follow a market you can do that as well but if you wanted to take a standard portfolio so let's say you had a 50 50 balanced portfolio in your risk tolerance questionnaire I would be looking at choosing 50% going into one of their bond funds and I would be choosing 50% to go into some kind of equity fund so If you kind of didn't really want to think about it, you like your home bias, you don't want to worry about currency, you might just focus on Canada. If you think there's more opportunities in the States, you might do a blend. But essentially, you can always default back to that risk tolerance questionnaire and saying, okay, this is roughly how I want to split my pie. I want half in fixed income and half in some type of equity. And then, like I said, depending on how much research you want to do, you can narrow it down yourself from there, or you can buy an index. Or you can throw a dart at a dartboard and see where it lands.
2: Oh, well, hopefully that kind of helped you get a, a quick idea of how to break this down where, yeah, sometimes you do have to DIY it. It really does come down to what you're comfortable with. Like how much bond and fixed income do you want? Cause I know that's kind of a touchy subject right now with how poorly bonds have been doing. So some people may lean towards that higher equity and then just figure out, yeah, do you want to be all Canadian? Do you want to be mixed between Canada, the States, kind of the global international scene a bit of a mess right now so that... May help narrow your decision down, but all that comes down to your risk tolerance profile, how long it's going to be until retirement, or it could even be how long do you anticipate being at that job? Because that may make you want to take a more high risk thing because you're trying to get a quick growth while you're still there.
1: Well, and I would stress that these are retirement funds for a lot of people. So- The current situation, economic situation aside, traditional asset allocation over time does work really well. So if you can kind of separate yourself from the next couple of years being a little bit of a mess, then because you have more than a couple of years to go before retirement, then it still makes sense to go the traditional route in a lot of cases.
2: Well, exactly. And you can always just look at the problems right now and think of it as, hey, it's a cheap time to buy. But let's kind of pivot gears. We kind of talked a lot about the, the the good and the great and the helpful about group RSPs, but there are a couple of downsides we should really talk about because with finance and savings, there's always a few downsides sprinkled in to make it interesting.
1: Yeah, I would say the first big downside would be that you're really limited to what's within the plan in terms of your fund choices. Now, if you already think there's too many choices, maybe uh, maybe this isn't a downside for you. But from our point of view, when you really do the research, there's a whole big wide world out there. And some of these plans can pigeonhole investments. So sometimes people will like to choose investments that complement what they're doing inside their group plans as an alternate, as opposed to kind of having all their eggs in one basket.
2: Yeah, another thing to think about could be uh, what are the restrictions for taking money out of this group RSP, whether you're still working at your current employer or you're transferring somewhere else.
1: Yeah, so you're talking about vesting. So vesting typically means when does the employer's contribution become your money? And the general rule of thumb is after you've been contributing for about two years, that property becomes yours. So let's say you've started working for a company and it's less than two years since you began participation in one of these plans, and you just got to go. You're moving on. Now, there's a chance that you do not get to take your employer's contribution with you. If you're not yet vested, that money is going to be returned to your employer, and you'll only get the money, if any, that you put into the plan on your behalf. So that's a quick chat with HR. Just say, hey, is my plan vested? Do I get to keep the employer contributions if I go?
2: Yeah. And if they do claw it back, they're not going to send you a bill. It's just going to limit how much gets transferred out of your account to whatever new registered plan you're moving that money into.
1: Well, and that's a good point as well. It's going to have to stay as some kind of registered investment unless you want to pay a whole boatload of taxes on withdrawal, which you probably don't want to do. And you especially don't want to do if you already got a taxable severance in that year.
2: Well, exactly. So you'd have your Base income from the year, you could have a severance, then you have your RSP. So you have all three things hitting your taxes at the exact same time, which is why it's always a good idea to do a transfer to a different RRSP or a different type of registered plan.
1: Yep. And I will mention that group RSPs are notorious for having big, long lists of fees. They'll charge you a fee for pretty well any transaction. Uh, transfers are one of them. So find out from your provider what they will charge you if you are going to be making a move another restriction could be some plans are structured so that you cannot take withdrawals from them at all now this is not a popular option but it is out there so that's why i thought it would bear mentioning so again very very important to check the other thing on our list that we've already kind of talked about is that you can over contribute if you have other rsps and again that big caution that withdrawals are taxable so don't let this be your only investment plan even down the road when you're retiring, you want more than just an RSP. So there are lots of reasons to diversify in terms of the buckets that you choose to keep your money in.
2: I hope that helped you figure out these different nuances. Yeah, cuz there there could be some drawbacks to your group RSP, but like I said, anything like this, there's bound to be kind of the pros and cons. So let's kind of shift gears for the last few minutes and let's kind of talk about from the employer perspective. And I know you've got some fancy papers sitting there and I think it's time for It's Personal Finance Canada's first real lightning round. So why don't you just give us like a rapid fire list of all the things that an employer looks at when they're trying to set up this group RRSP?
1: Yes, okay, we'll do a quick lightning round. And this is helpful to you as well as an employee, because these are the decision points that have been considered when setting up this plan. So these are all things that you should be looking for in your benefits package, so that you can understand The ins and outs and pros and cons of your own plan. So first off, eligibility. Who is eligible to join the plan? It can be yourself. It can also be your spouse or common law partner. Spousal RSPs are typically allowed in group plans, but typically you do have to enroll yourself before you can enroll your spouse or open a spousal RSP. Uh, The when do I become eligible is something that's important, especially if you come from a firm that has a lot of casual part time or seasonal workers. What qualifies as eligibility into the plan? And it's really completely up to that plan. So they may decide not to offer this at all to seasonal or casual workers. They might say, you need to be a permanent full-time employee with a contract before we'll give this to you. Or they might say, if you're a seasonal employee for X number of years or really anything, it's up to them to define.
2: Yeah, even if you are like a full-time employee, it could be after a three-month probation, could be after six months, or it could be after a year, depending on how this is set up.
1: And it could be you're eligible to join and make contributions now, right? So there might be no waiting period whatsoever. Although, like you said, it does typically correspond to a traditional probationary period. So do I have to join the plan? Most plans are voluntary, which means you can choose because a lot of Companies are trying to do this to get in your good books and they don't want the added pressure of forcing contributions. Uh, the next one is who is contributing into this plan so the company will have a portion where it'll either be a percentage of your earnings a dollar amount per pay period or it could be up to the maximum allowed by the CRA for that year now you're gonna want to make sure like we talked about a little bit earlier that you understand how they're calculating your earned income so what is that percentage based on what is that dollar amount based on is it based on base salary only is it based on overtime bonuses that that kind of thing and how much can you contribute into the plan so do you have a fixed contribution you have to put in to get a match will they only do as much as you do do you have to put in a dollar amount to get their dollar amount Or is it wide open for you where there's no contribution required on your behalf and it's all up to the employer? Or, and I've seen this as well, where the employer offers the plan and then puts nothing into it, no match whatsoever, but you get the benefits that we talked about before of basically having a lower fee RSP option that's available to you. You'll also want to know if you can make additional contributions through the year. So typically, an RSP plan is a regular monthly amount. Now let's say you've saved up and you've got $5,000 you want to put into an RSP for tax reasons at the end of the year. Just check and make sure that you're able to do this as a lump sum and find out what the paperwork required through your plan would be to do so. And on the flip side of that withdrawals, you want to know how much and if you are permitted to make withdrawals from the plans while you're working with that company, once you're gone, of course, like we've said, it's probably going to be transferred out into another plan or into an individual plan. But basically, you want to know if the company has permitted or disallowed any withdrawals. And there's usually some caveats on that. Most companies will not be able to restrict things like the homebuyer's plan or the lifelong learning plan. And finally, how to enroll, that's up to you and HR.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. You're going to talk to your HR rep, your manager, whoever it will be. And there you'll find out whether it is an auto-enroll, whether you have to manually opt in. Uh, this is something else, too, for employers to think about. Studies have shown that you get a better inclusion rate into these plans if you auto-enroll your employees and they haven't filled the necessary paperwork, rather than is to just give them a stack of paperwork and hope they decide to fill it and bring it in one day. It's kind of that whole make it easier for people to get into this plan because then you'll know for sure they're actually taking advantage of it because it can just be human nature. We all get busy, things come up, some of these things can be complicated and confusing at times, especially if you have a whole host of funds to pick from and you kind of have that choice paralysis. So if you're on the employer side, it's typically best to have it set up as to automatically sign up new employees. So you know that everyone is part of the plan, everyone is working through it and they can all benefit once they get the last their paperwork in where they can kind of pick their funds and so Forth. Well, I hope this was a benefit to you, even if you don't have a group RRSP, because it can help you look at what to ask prospective employers. If you are a runner of a small, medium sized company, hopefully this gave you some insight on how you can offer an added benefit to your existing and future employees to kind of help them with their own savings, their own retirement, and just offer a nice little month to the month bonus to kind of show you appreciate them being there and contributing to the overall success of this company. And for those who do already have a group RSP, hopefully this helped you figure out how to ask the right questions to your advisor rep or your HR department so you can get a better understanding of what is built into your plan and what's available. So as always, if you are in the BC area and you want some more help, either understanding your own group RSP, if you're looking to open up a group RSP for your employees at your company, always feel free to visit us at uh, Braun Financial. That's BraunFinancial.com. Give us a call, send us an email, and we can have a nice long conversation above and beyond what we already talked about in this podcast. So once again, thank you all for listening and take care and all the best.